Wednesday, when the children come, they'll go straight to their classes because they'll be having a special presentation of following the worship service. So all the people will gather here first. We'll do the Advent candles, and then everyone will go to their classes of the children and teachers. Today we will talk about a prostitute who became an important part of Jesus' family line. In the New Testament, she is the most referred to Old Testament female. But before we talk about her, we need to conclude last week's start in our sermon series through the book of Joshua, chapter 1, we began last week. And at the point where we left off last Sunday, the Israelites were encamped on the east side of the Jordan River, across from Canaan, that land on the west side of the Jordan River that God had long ago promised to the Israelite patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. After having been away from the land for four centuries while trapped in slavery in Egypt, the 12 tribes of Israel are about to re-enter it. Moses has died and Joshua has been anointed leader of the Israelites. Now when Moses had been alive, he had promised land to the two tribes of Reuben and Gad, as well as half the tribe of Manasseh, land on the east side of the Jordan River. So he promised land on the east side of the Jordan River, in that area in which they were now camping. But Moses had promised those two and a half tribes that land on the east side of the river only in exchange for their helping the other nine and a half tribes who were about to go into the promised land in their effort to take back the promised land on the west side of the Jordan River in the land then called Canaan. Once that task was completed and the promised land taken, those fighting men of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh would be free to return to their families and land on the east side. Keith Harkis is going to read for us now, and we'll pick up the story at that point in chapter 1 of the book of Joshua. So, God said to Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So God may have promised them the land, but the Israelites would still need to execute the plan. God's orders were encompassing, specific, and requiring a a response, and the people did respond in the right way. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, 
we will go. Just as they fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So this message of trusting in the Lord and not fearing did not mean that there was no need for the Israelites to be strategic. They weren't to be silly. The Lord wanted the people to be prepared. He also wanted them to trust him, not be fearful, but to be prepared. And as we now go on to chapter 2, we will meet that prostitute who became an ancestor of Jesus Christ. And we see that it was a strategic planning by Joshua that paved the way for her role in salvation history. So reading. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sahon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So the people of Jericho had heard about the coming invasion of their land by the Israelites. And they were particularly alarmed that Sihon and Og, two powerful kings of Amorite nations, located on the east side of the Jordan River, that they had been defeated by the Israelites, and more so by their mighty God, Yahweh. The residents of Jericho were in awe, in a now we are really in a lot of trouble kind of awe. As for the prostitute Rahab, undoubtedly some, some of her traveling customers, the men who entered into her house on a regular basis, had told her about these Israelites and their mighty God, Yahweh. Now let's face it, in the city of Jericho, Rahab would not have been too highly regarded as the city prostitute, but she had brains. And when she heard about the mighty Yahweh God of the Israelites, she changed, and she did the smart thing. She decided to honor Yahweh and follow him, a life-altering decision that still has effect today. She knew enough to say about the God of the two Israelite spies to say to them, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. 
As a result, she was willing to make a deal with the spies, and so she asked. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their bl blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Now, scarlet ribbons have forever after been associated with prostitutes, but more important to our reading today was this agreement made, the agreement involving Rahab and the people of Israel, an agreement she lied about to her own people, an agreement that when Jericho actually fell to the Israelites, the agreement was made good. And so we read that this happened. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. That last little phrase, and she lives among the Israelites to this day, indicates that the writer of the book of Joshua was a contemporary of Rahab and of Joshua. Rahab became part of the Israelite community, living among them to that day. And she married an Israelite man. We are about to read now from the New Testament the genealogy of Jesus in which Rahab the prostitute appears. And so Keith will start us off with Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now we need to remember when we read through genealogies that the words son and father in biblical genealogies 
can refer to immediate next of kin or to relatives further away, not quite next of kin. So as we read, let's remember that some of the generations are skipped over and some are very specific. But let's be amazed as we hear about who appeared in Jesus' genealogy. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. The history of every Jewish person traces back to the three patriarchs of the Jewish nation, Abraham, his son Isaac, and his son Jacob. Why? Because they were the ones to whom God had originally promised the land. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. And so we're going to meet not just Rahab, the prostitute, but we're also here meeting another lady who did some shady things. I'll explain it. You will remember, so it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's had a son named Judah. Judah was one of Jacob's 12 sons. His more well-known brother was Joseph. But it was from Judah's descendants that the name for the entire people, the Jews, would come. And their allotted tribal land on the west side of the Jordan River was where the cities of Jerusalem and Bethlehem were located. So Judah became the most important of the tribes. But the man Judah, he had a wife named Shua, and they had three sons. In order, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. We read in Genesis 38 that the oldest son, Ur, was wicked in the Lord's sight, and he died leaving his wife Tamar a widow. But worse, she was a widow without children. And children were all important in that day and age, that culture. And so we need to remember that the understanding in that culture back then was that if a man died and his wife was childless, that the man would then carry on his family line through his wife being married to his brother. And so you remember this scene was said in the New Testament with Jesus where they tried to trick him up about who was actually married. And they went through seven brothers who married the same woman, poor woman, over and over again. That was just a setup scene. But here was a real scene. Onan, the second brother, was supposed to marry Tamar, which he did. And then impregnate her was the hope. But he refused to play along. He didn't want any of his children to be not given under his name, but under his older brother Ur's name, so he refused to impregnate Tamar. Onan's actions, like his older brother Ur, were also sinful, and he died. And Judah, now the father of two deceased sons, Ur and Onan, but the father still of a third son, Shelah, said to Tamar, the widow, don't worry. Once Shelah, this young boy, grows up and becomes a man, you'll marry him. And hopefully he will provide for you the children that you so rightfully and desperately want. However, Tamar, by this time, decided to take matters into her own hands. And she saw that Judah... His wife died, 
and Judah was in mourning. And he hadn't had sexual relations, etc., etc. So she decided that she would dress up like a prostitute. Like a prostitute, but she would have her head covered, her face covered, so that nobody would know who she was. And so she enticed poor old Judah to come by a place where she set up shop and to have sex with her. An interaction that left Tamar pregnant with Judah's twin boys, Perez and Sarah. It's a shocking story. But one of the things that proves the Bible to be true is that it is the fact that the Bible always tells honest stories about its characters, warts and all. Differentiating itself from the holy books of these other religions which really just read like fables, fairy tales. Everybody's perfect in those other holy books. But in the Bible, that's not true. So in this particular story of sinful interactions, the shame is placed in the Bible squarely on Judah, the man, never on Tamar, the woman. Though we think, woo. In any case, this should be a revelation to us. So she's the second woman named in Jesus' family line. And her reputation, not that good throughout the ages, but fine with God. In any case, their son Perez fathered Hezron, who became father to a man named Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab. Well said. <laughs> Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon. That man became Rahab the prostitute's husband. Perhaps Salmon had been one of the two spies who had first encountered Rahab. Perhaps he was so taken with her, amazed by her, that he married her. We don't know what the circumstances of the marriage were, but we do know this, that Salmon married Rahab. She stopped being a prostitute. She became a wife and a mother. Now, Salmon's father was Nashon. Nashon, just some history, was a close associate of Moses. Nashon's sister, Elisheba, had been married to Moses' brother, Aaron. So Nashon was the leader of the tribe of Judah and commanded their army. And by marrying Nashon's son, Salmon, Rahab, in fact, married into the royal line, family line of Judah. And thus she became part of the bloodline of the future Messiah, Jesus Christ. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. A third woman is mentioned in Jesus' family line, Bathsheba. You know, everybody knows the reputation of Bathsheba. Interesting the people with sordid character flaws. God endorsed and loved and brought them in to the family line of his son. Now some of the most beloved people in Jewish history are mentioned in this family line of Jesus. Ruth, the fourth woman mentioned, was not Jewish. Then there's Jesse, then there were the kings David and Solomon, 
It continues on all the way down to Jesus, born in Bethlehem. And they all followed in Rahab, the prostitute's family line. It's really quite astounding. By the way, in the letter to the Hebrews, now going to another letter in the New Testament, the writer lists Rahab in a so-called hall of faith, listing of the most important and righteous people of Israel's history, starting with Adam's son Abel and then continuing on to Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and then on to Moses, giving foolish descriptions for each of those individuals of their righteous actions. The writer finally stops with one last person that he gives a foolish description of after Moses. Now, we would anticipate that person would be Joshua, but it was not. Instead, the writer settled on Rahab, the prostitute. Let that sink in. More important than Joshua in the Hall of Faith. Rahab, not Joshua, made it into the Hall of Faith of the righteous people of Israel's history. History. It had not been by chance then that it was seen that the two Israelite spies had found their, Rahab, their way to Rahab's house. What could it have been about her that so drew God's attention, causing him to single her out for praise and a unique role in the lineage of salvation for his people and a spot in the hall of faith of Israel's most righteous people? I believe it may have been that she alone of all the residents of Jericho, has spiritual brains and insight, and she turned to God when she heard about him. She heard about the might of Yahweh God, and she said to the two Israelite spies, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below, and she made God her God. So now reading a few verses from that Hall of Faith section of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. It is fascinating that Rahab turned out to be the last person whose deeds were described in some foolish detail in the Hall of Faith. After her, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews simply states a bunch of names. And he reads, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets. But he had the time to tell about Rahab, but not those people. It's fascinating. As well, going on now to a different spot in the New Testament, in the letter of James, James was a half-brother of Jesus, and he described Rahab as an example of someone justified and made righteous by God because she didn't just say words of faith, but she actually lived them out. She just didn't have a talk. She had a walk that matched her talk. She put her faith into action. And so James, in his letter, put it this way. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. 
and the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Everywhere that Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament, it is with praise. Now, we've just read through the book of Deuteronomy, where sexual sins were spoken strongly against, and where the Israelites were repeatedly warned not to marry pagan Canaanites for fear that the religion of the pagan Canaanites, the religion worshipping other gods, would sway the Israelites away from serving and worshipping God. And so I wouldn't blame you if after having heard me preach all those sermons all those weeks, you might be surprised that Yahweh God would choose a pagan, pagan prostitute of Canaan to be the ancestor of Jesus. You might be surprised, but that's not how God works. For you see, God's grace is all-encompassing for whoever comes to him. His grace is all-encompassing. And Rahab's life was a true Cinderella story for the ages in that it ended so well. For the Jewish nation, Rahab is a powerful example, just like Ruth was after her, of a Gentile converting to faith in the one true God, Yahweh. God never turns anyone away for their ethnicity or their sin if they turn to him. He loves all people, even ethnically, not Jewish, coming from a background of paganism, prostitutes. I'm going to finish with reading through what a writer by the name of Lisi Apollo has written about some of the lessons we can learn from the life of Rahab. And so we're simply going to close with her points that will be on the screen. She writes, First, God saves those with the past. Secondly, God uses those with the past. Thirdly, God redefines those with the past. So if you ever wonder whether or not your past is a hindrance to a full relationship with God and being used by him, it's not. For us, this means that on many levels, the things we have done with are dealt with by God. They have been dealt with by God. Jesus, our Savior, born on the cross, did that for us. Born and then given of his life on the cross, did that for us. Reading again from writer Lisa Apollo, and I'm just going to take my time going through, giving you time to contemplate on each of these points of this writer. So, God has dealt with these things through Jesus Christ. Our shame. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our sin. If we confess our sins, 
he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our hopelessness. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our chains. Jesus replied to those who were questioning him, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. That would be a son and a daughter. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Our self-contempt. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Our fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. The perfect love is God's love for us. Our rejection. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our disqualification. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. We are never disqualified based on our past. Our ostracization. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You see, Rahab's name in Jesus' family tree shines the peace and the hope and the joy of Advent. And God redefines those of us with the past. He uses those of us with the past. And he saves those of us with the past. And so on this third Sunday of Advent, may you be blessed with these truths. The Lord has saved you. He's using you, and he's redefined who you are. You are safely in his hands, in his family, in his loving care. You are acceptable in his sight and trusted by him to do his work. What God did with Rahab, he can do for anyone. So turn to him now and receive his blessings. We pray in Jesus' name.